Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I sent out a notice on the network. Everybody should be a member of the network. Uh, that I was going to talk about, uh, the great, the great reset. And I, I haven't heard that term before until just recently, but, uh, evidently it's a pretty big deal. You can Google it and find all, uh, about it. It has to do with the great economic and cultural and, uh, political and, uh, almost every aspect of your life reset that a number of people are promoting. And, uh, it seems to be taking advantage of the coronavirus pandemic. But uh, the coronavirus pandemic is not really much different than a lot of other pandemics, except for the fact that we have this huge shutdown that is almost worldwide. Every country hasn't shut down, but many countries have shut down. And, of course, the shutdown will affect every country, because, uh, and it will cause the death of tens of thousands of people. And uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of people before they're done. We have no idea how far this shutdown is going to take us. Uh, a lot of people think that the uh, virus has uh, been, we've been spared the terrible tragedy of the virus because of the shutdown. And of course that's nonsense. The virus is still going to take its course. Uh, people think that a vaccine will be their salvation. A study just came out fairly recently. Although it was well known, there had been a lot of people talking about it. They made this study because it was well known, but they actually have some numbers now to go along with what they knew, which is uh, about 28% of the people were immune to the coronavirus before it even got going. That's right, about 28% of the people were already immune to the coronavirus, even though it's a new virus. It's not that new. There's been a lot of respiratory viruses before. Coronavirus has been around for a long time. Cows get coronavirus. Sheep get coronavirus. And uh, it's, it's. but when I say they get coronavirus, they get a bovine coronavirus. And uh, they get immune to it on a regular basis. So that immunity is just like cowpox was around. And that's how they got the first vaccine was for smallpox, which they got by taking fluids from a cow that had cowpox, because cowpox is similar to smallpox, except only cows get it. Although people can get something from the cowpox that actually can cause some, uh, you know, blistering on your hands, and uh, that's why uh, young uh, dairy uh, maids who were milking cows, uh, they... Uh, they would get exposed to cowpox, but would be immune to smallpox. And that's how they discovered the first vaccine, or the, the use of a certain vaccine. But the reality is, is nature has a way of helping us overcome any of these infections that have been coming around for thousands of years. And yes, it kills people. When I worked in a convalescent home years and years ago, I I saw people dying uh, lined up in the hallways, dying because a flu came around. Because in a convalescent home, people have 
multiple morbidities and compromised immune systems and just somebody coming in with a cold can kill people. Not just one little convalescent home with about 300 patients. I actually saw gurneys lined up like a train of dead bodies because somebody brought the flu into the convalescent home. It kills people every year. 60,000, 70,000 people in the United States die every year from the flu. So we've had 150,000 or so supposedly die from the corona flu, which might be a little bit worse than other flus. But in a country of 325 million people, that's not really that high a number. And we know they've been jerking around the numbers uh, a little bit because they've had to roll them back themselves. They've admitted to taking 200 here, 300 there in different countries. Had to, one country had to roll back the numbers by quite a bit. And, and we're not, we're not sure they're done. There may be a lot of other, they, they admitted that anybody, story after story from doctors, even from, uh, the top people said that they were counting people as coronavirus deaths if they simply died while they might have had coronavirus. Not even a confirmed case. And they were listed as a coronavirus death. Well, if you do that in 50 states, you're going to get a higher count. And and the reality is in about four or five states has half of the count of the entire country, even though they don't have half the population. So the numbers aren't really there. They weren't there from the beginning. I, I was reading studies by uh, epidemiologists, numerous sources, uh, when we were doing our programs months and months ago, and the numbers were not adding up. And the the stories that the epidemiologists were telling us that would take place, the, the predictions, were certainly not lining up with the Ferguson predictions, which talked about millions dead in America. The shutdown did not save millions of people in America. It slowed the virus. Study after study after study going back years and even recent studies have shown and now studies are showing that prolonging the virus in the population will kill more people. Shutting down by itself with no virus whatsoever will kill thousands, tens of thousands of people. We're talking 10,000 children dying every month because of the shutdown. And that there's going to be a winter lag with that. So that that death rate is going to continue even when the virus stops. And the virus is going to stop because it's going to run its course. People say, well, we'll never get to herd immunity. So many people will have to die before we get to herd immunity. Well, we have a death rate of less than 1% of the people who get it die. Less than 1% of the people who get it die. Maybe 1% of the people who get it really bad will die, but we know that half the people who get it don't even show symptoms. They don't even go to the doctor. They don't get tested because it's not that bad a flu. It's bad if you've got morbidities already, if you've got immune-compromised system, if you let the doctors over-treat you. Like if the doctor said, take a handful of aspirin, with this, 
people would die because that's what killed many thousands of people during the Spanish flu was the doctors were prescribing handfuls of aspirin and it was causing people to die. That's that. This is peer-reviewed studies. Uh, AMA doctors go out there and they've discovered that many, many patients died because of the over-prescription uh, of aspirin during the Spanish flu. And that the flu itself was not more virulent than other flus. They've tested it now. They dug up frozen bodies and they tested it. So, I saw this. We reported it. Those people who listened to Keys of the Kingdom either on podcasts or live broadcasts or are on the network, knew that this flu was not more serious than most other flus. It might be a little bit more serious. And it definitely is a pandemic. And it definitely is going to kill people. But fear hampers your immune system. And uh, too much intervention, especially with like ventilators, can kill people and doctors were discovering that and they were starting to get away from ventilators in some hospitals others just continued to keep prescribing the same thing and expecting a different result i just looked up the other day taiwan to see how they were doing death from coronavirus was still at seven and my original figures were back in june now it's august deaths are still at seven just a couple days ago. <laughs> 23 million people on an island so small you can't really social space. A central hub for a lot of air traffic in the, the Pacific. And they got seven deaths. Why? Well, there's a lot of contributing factors. But, I mean, we should send uh, boatloads of doctors there to find out what they're doing and start doing that here. Certainly start doing it in New York. <laughs> I guess... Uh, the reality is a lot of morbidities, you know, overweight, uh, uh, insulin resistance because of overuse of insulin, overconsumption of sugars and uh, carbohydrates sets people up to have a worse case. Uh, we know that 35% more likely to get Corona, serious case of coronavirus if you had the flu vaccine according to a study done by the military where they vaccinated large numbers of soldiers and didn't vaccinate others and then took uh, followed up with a study and found that those who got vaccinated were uh, primed to have a worse case of the coronavirus. A lot of people get the flu shots. They think, well, we'll have less. Some people actually are telling the people that if you wear a mask, if you get the flu, it won't be as bad because you are wearing a mask. That is, of course, once you understand, I could find you a boatload of doctors who will tell you that that's ridiculous. The only reason you get sick with the coronavirus is because some of your cells begin to replicate the coronavirus. You can't breathe in enough cells to actually make you sick. Unless your cells, your T11 cells, start reproducing the coronavirus, then you might start showing what we call the symptoms of coronavirus. Because it got into you and you replicated it. And we've 
done shows where we said there's other things that get into you like lies and misinformation. And that's what's happened is this huge amount of misinformation constantly pounding people with fear, 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 fear. And you end up with this panic. And even when we show, oh, the numbers aren't millions of people uh, dying in the United States and a half a million people dying in uh, Great Britain, but that it isn't that severe a virus and that most people are getting better quickly from it. And 28%, which is almost halfway to herd immunity, will never get it because they already have a genetic memory in their T1 cells that protects them. So then we know, okay, if you have uh, 100,000 people and uh, 10,000 get serious symptoms out of that 100,000, well, that means there's at least 20,000 out of that 100,000 who got it because we know half don't even show serious symptoms. Or maybe more than half don't show serious symptoms. So that means that you could end up with another 20% on top of the 28%. So now you're at 48%. That's almost 50% are immune. Well, that's almost herd immunity. It's going to almost stop. And of course, we know that some of the flus that people got sick and died from weren't even the coronavirus. They were other flus that float around every year. When they give you the flu shot, they usually give you a flu shot for three different flus in one shot. They they guess what might be going around, and they add them all together and create three different uh, flu vaccinations, put it all in one, and that's what they're giving you. If another flu goes around instead of that, you may have no immunity. As a matter of fact, you may be primed to even get sicker. You know, a lot of people all, uh, will tell you you know, who are honest, and I, you know, this is a personal survey, they they get sick with the flu usually within a week of getting the flu shot. And they think, oh, good thing I got the flu shot on time because, <laughs> uh, because uh, I didn't get it so bad because I got my flu shot a week ago. What you're experiencing is your flu shot. <laughs> That's what you're getting. You didn't get the flu. You got a flu shot. And so the reality is there's a lot of misinformation going on. And we've talked about that. But we want to talk about this great reset. And I was listening to somebody uh, that somebody sent me. And uh, he was noticing all these same things that we reported way back in April. We were reporting it back in March. Actually, uh, we were report, reporting some things as far back as uh, uh, February because from the very beginning, this was not adding up. But uh, the Great Reset is really a fascinating thing. And uh, so I Googled it and, and read a lot about it. And I listened to a couple of other audios by this individual who we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, I wanted to set the scene with prophecy a little bit. One of the things that uh, we could talk about is uh, if, if you go back in, in the Bible to Isaiah thirty four fifteen, There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow 
there shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Well, if you look up in the Hebrew, that word, the great owl, the word owl, the word that they have there for owl, is not the normal word for owl. And it uh, it's only appears once in the whole Old Testament. But they translate it the great owl. And uh, you actually, it appears twice, but uh, no, the word owl only appears once. I, I'm right. Okay, I was right the first time. It appears once. And it uh, is associated with uh, a word that has to do with uh, uh, scourge, uh, difficulty, the great scourge, uh, makes her nest, you know, under her shadow. These are metaphors. That this great owl, this great scourge that comes. But then they talk about the vultures also be gathered. But the word vultures there just simply means a bird of prey. And of course an eagle is a bird of prey. So you could actually translate the eagles also be gathered. Now those of you who are familiar with Revelations, there's talk, and, and the other parts of the Bible, they talk about the gathering of the eagles. The gathering of, uh, uh, these symbolic birds of prey. So anyway, I thought I'd mention that. We won't go into that in great detail. I wanted to go on to Hosea uh, 9-7. The day of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. Now, just because you're a prophet doesn't mean you're a prophet of the God of heaven. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquities and the great hatred. So, what's the great hatred? Uh, is it hate for Trump? Well, maybe it's just hate in general. That word uh, is also a word uh, that appears, I think it appears twice in the Bible. That one is twice in the Bible. But it's, it has to do with animosity or enmity. And one of the things you see in a lot of the, this leftist movement of uh, protests is hate, anger. Uh, they, they seem so emotionally angry all the time. And that does come also from a word that has to do with meaning scourge. But uh, it appears, like I said, twice, but it appears the second time also in the very next verse. So you won't find anywhere else in the Bible, just in these two verses that are right next to each other, which is Hosea 9, 8. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler, and all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. Now, that could, they have a big G God there. Uh, when you see the word God, but that could be a place where you might want to translate that with a small g God, because this prophet is not necessarily a prophet of the God, he's a prophet of his God. But anyway, I, I'm not going to retranslate the Bible, but that's just a note. But they're talking about this great hatred that is, is come, that is in the house of the God or a God or something. 
And now I'll go on to Daniel, because I'm just going to hit a number of different places here to bring these ideas so that when we talk about the great uh, reset, we can put it into the context of these prophecies. Daniel. Everybody loves Daniel. Everybody wants to figure out what Daniel is talking about. And Daniel is is really talking more about like what we just saw in Hosea where it talks about this other way. You know, the snare of the fowler in all his ways. Remember, the one purse uh, is a snare and a trap. And, uh, the, you know, they, those who look privately for the blood of the innocent are caught in their own snare. And uh, this is what has actually already taken place and has brought us to this point of the Great Reset. Daniel 7.25 And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hands until a time and a times and the dividing of time. So it's a time and a time and a half a time. So people start trying to figure out, so what? what's the secret here? Well, let's look at this as an allegory and, and the metaphors and try to put them together to understand the principles. And the only way you really understand this is by the revelation of God. But we're going to talk a little bit about it. In verse 26, he goes right on to say, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. We see this huge animosity towards Christ and towards the church and towards religion. Of course, some of that is almost warranted because people have altered the definition of religion. The church is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's actually tickling the ears of the people and lulling them into sleep instead of awakening them to the ways of Christ. They're not even following the ways of Christ. They're actually following the ways of the Corbin of the Pharisees and we've talked all about that and released shows on that and if you're on the network you've got those if you search Keys of the Kingdom on whatever podcast you like you should mark us as a favorite and start listening to them go back and, and listen to the older ones we've got hundreds and hundreds of these start putting some of these things in perspective in this verse 27 now, they, they talked about taking away his dominion. But in verse 27, it says, The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here, too, is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. So, what's he talking about? Does this have anything to do with the Great Reset? Or what side of the Great Reset? And really what I said I was going to talk about is the Greatest Reset. What is the Greatest Reset compared to the Great Reset? Well, we're going to talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So it talks about uh, in Revelations uh, 18.8. 
Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Well, that that that's pretty serious sounding stuff. That's a lot worse than the coronavirus. Because <laughs> so, not only does this plagues and... In one day, and death, and mourning, and famine, and utterly burned, and people are absolutely in a panic about uh, coronavirus and think that they can stop it somehow when with a mask, which is insane. The only thing that will stop it is immunity. And if you get herd immunity, it will even protect those people that are weak and vulnerable, the elderly and the immune compromised. But of course, you could do all kinds of things to overcome your immune compromised status. And But what is causing all the... We have a huge plague of autoimmune diseases in America and in the world today. And there is a bevy of evidence, a plethora of evidence that uh, this is in part due to vaccines. I mean, the evidence is stacking up and more and more doctors are coming out and starting to see this. More and more researchers are starting to see it. And, uh, and, and more and more people are waking up to the fact that this excessive use of vaccination uh, is actually causing autoimmune problems. In, in, Including autism, people, you know, there's huge effort to poo-poo this and and disclaim that autism has anything to do with vaccinations. But there's a huge amount of evidence that says it does. But people, there's millions of dollars if people don't realize that. And uh, the money talks. So anyway, in... Revelations 18, 8, we see this talking about this plague. In, in 9, it says, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, which is evidently the harlot, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off. For the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth, who are these that some translate this, the traveling merchants of the earth? I mean, if you go back to the original Greek, these merchants of the earth and their merchandise, the merchants being uh, uh, emporos uh, is the word there, which is translated merchant pretty consistently, but it means one on a journey, whether by sea or by land, especially for trade. So somebody's on sea or by land or maybe maritime law, and you can get all into that and get lost in that. But we don't want to break this. We don't want to get it more complex. We want to break it down into simplicity so that you understand. And the shows that we released just this week on the, the network went through some of this process of how you become this merchandise because that's what they're they're going to be saying here in this the traveling merchants of the earth 
shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. No man buyeth it. Now, those who don't have the mark of the beast, they can't necessarily get into that marketplace. They can't buy there. They, you know, like they won't be able to have bank accounts and they won't be able to have credit cards and debit cards. And a lot of stores will only take debit and credit cards. They won't even take cash. And so they might die in this world if they don't have the mark of the beast in, in this world where these traveling merchants have this full stock. And that's what it starts talking about is that the, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and brass and iron and marbles. So they going in on and on and on and, and cinnamon and the odors and the ointments and the frankincense and the wine and the oil and the fine flour and the wheat and the beasts and the sheep and the horses and the chariots and the slaves and souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. All things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. So these merchants own people, not only as slaves, but the souls of men. So what does that mean? Now, you know, we could do whole studies on the word soul and, and what it means, but the seed of the soul is in the blood, and the soul has to do with the hereditaments and and uh, corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality, if you go into the legal terms. But we're not going to get into it all that deep. We have in the past, but if you haven't, if you're not brought up to speed on some of the meanings of these words, you may not understand what I'm talking about. But if we go back to Deuteronomy 4, 9, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. But of course, they're not going to be taught these things in school. There was just somebody sworn in in Arizona who is uh, be in charge of education and she so hates the Bible. They say she, but you know, actually it looks like one of those transgender people. I know she really looks strange to me. Um, I don't want to pick on her looks, but she so hates the Bible she was sworn in on the book of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure she's not going to be teaching you <laughs> what Deuteronomy 4.9 is telling uh that where God is telling us to teach our sons and daughters. Uh, so, if you're sending your kids to her schools, they're not going to get taught these things. But anyway, in verse 10, it goes on to say, When thou hast eaten and art full, when thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I commanded thee this day. Now we're in Deuteronomy. So you can know what 
what he's talking about there. What did he command us? Well, we're not supposed to be coveting our neighbor's goods. And if we listen to Christ, we're not to be coveting our neighbor's goods through the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. But people have forgotten that. And so when he says, Beware that thou forget not, that's already a done deal. They People think that they have become so accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they don't think anything of all these benefits and rewards uh, uh, that are handed out by these men who exercise authority, who not only take away from your neighbor to provide them, but borrow against the future of your children to provide them today, thereby cursing your children. But everybody's snared now in this system. Everybody's got the number. Everybody's in the system. They were full. They got used to it. They And this has been going on for a long time. But the plague, the repercussions of this may come suddenly. It's kind of like, you know, you jump off a hundred-story building for at least 99 floors. You think you're flying. <laughs> but you're really falling. But when you finally arrive at the sidewalk, there's a brought into your delusion. And uh, you can flap your arms all you want. It's not going to change the outcome. It will take a miracle to save you. Okay, so it says, When thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Well, like I said, everybody's back in the bondage of Egypt. In the bondage of Egypt, you had to give 20% of your labor to the government. One-fifth. Now it's called the bondage of Egypt. They got worse and worse and worse, but that's... It, that was the ceiling limit. You weren't supposed to, the, the Pharaoh wasn't supposed to take more than 20%. But, you know, 20% for every member in the household. If you had too many kids, that might add up to a lot of labor that you had to work for the Pharaoh. Because you have to work for your kid while he's growing up. So, Deuteronomy 4.23 goes on to say, Take heed unto yourself, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you graven images, make your own institutions, and likenesses to the kingdom of God, likenesses of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee to do. Well, we've done that. We've created our own institutions. We have established our own city-states like Cain did. And they are now taking care of the needy of your society, not by pure religion, through faith, hope, and charity, but by forced contributions, contrary to what John the Baptist taught, what Jesus taught, what all the prophets taught. And so, by Deuteronomy 8.11, he says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. He's saying, don't forget this. And not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. So, we have forgot that. We think it's okay to covet our neighbor's goods. So, by verse 7 of chapter 9, it says, Remember and forget not 
how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness from the days that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye come unto the place ye have been rebellious against the Lord. So, there's a lot of people going to church and there's a lot of churches that invite you to come and they want you to get water baptism and they want you to do this ritual and and uh, have a communion, a little wafer of bread on your tongue, which, of course, Jesus wasn't doing. He took bread at a meal, a Passover meal, a festival, feast meal, and broke it and shared it and fed one another. He did the same thing with the loaves and fishes. He took what was given and he divided it amongst the people who were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. This was not merely a ritual. This was about survival. This was about sustenance. It wasn't about the way the bondage of Egypt, where you had to give to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh, you know, he created aqueducts and he created huge farming projects and dams and and uh, canals so that they could irrigate vast areas of the desert and grow huge amounts of grain, which could be sold all over the world. Where they were still doing that at the time of Caesars. They were still shipping grain all over the known world at that time. And huge amounts of funds were coming in because they had built these huge projects on the labor of the people. I mean, income tax was still 20% up until the time of Mubarak, all through his reign in Egypt, which was Mubarak, for those of you who don't know, was just ousted by <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> he was there uh, back uh, when I was a bit younger. So uh, I was alive during Mubarak's reign. But income tax was still 20%, one-fifth. This stems all the way back to Joseph and the bondage of Egypt. But of course, in a lot of other countries... Income tax is much more than one-fifth for a lot of people. And they have a you know graduated bondage. But the, you, you're in that bondage nonetheless. Because we forgot, wait a minute, that bondage of Egypt was a portion of our labor belonged to the state. That didn't exist, you know, a hundred years ago in America. That's something that we allowed to come in because we have strayed from the ways of Christ. If we were taking care of all the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, the church was actually had a daily ministration, daily bread, a communion based on righteousness, not symbols and rituals. Then that woman who wants to be in charge of education, I think it was Arizona, and hates the Bible, would not hate the Bible. She would not have the religion you have when you have no religion of righteousness. See, she has a religion. She will go and get her pension and her social security and all that stuff when she retires. She doesn't need the religion of the Bible because... She has the religion of Cain, the religion of Nimrod, the religion of Pharaoh, the religion of Caesar. You force your neighbor to contribute and then you get a social security check. 
You were forced to contribute, and now you force your neighbor to contribute to you. You have nothing on deposit. There is nothing on deposit. So, yeah, a lot of people say, well, no, uh, Social Security is pretty, uh, we're supposed to be, you know. Uh, and, and you have it. But it also has you. And so anyway, if we go on to Numbers 29.39, we see, These things ye shall do unto the Lord in your set feasts, besides your vows, and your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings, and for your meat offerings, for your drink offerings, and for your peace offerings. These things... Don't forget these things. Do these things. Well, this is what the church was supposed to be doing, is taking care of the needy through pure religion, through free will offerings. We've gotten away from that. We go to church to to hear about God, but not the truth about God. You know, it says that the triv, the, the slothful in the ways of God shall be under tribute. That's Proverbs. But in Deuteronomy 16, 19, it says... And thou shalt keep the feasts of weeks unto the Lord thy God, with a tribute of a free will offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. In other words, you choose free will offering to give to God. Now, how do you give to God? You throw it up in the air, and whatever God can catch, He keeps. Uh, how, how do you, how do you, how do you hand it by your hand to God? Well, the Levites at that time belonged to God. They didn't belong to the state. They belonged to God. They had limitations. They, they owned all things in common, but they themselves belonged to God. They had their own system that was separate from the people, but the people were free. But the people could only remain free if they gave free will tribute. Free will. Tribute of a free will offering of thine hands to God. To, by giving it to the Levites who took care of all the social welfare for Israel for hundreds of years. And if they didn't do a good job, you didn't have to give to them. You could give to the guy who did the best job in taking care of the needy of society. By this, you bind society together with gratitude and grace and love. If you go to forced offerings, then you bind the people together by fealty and force and entitlements. And their loyalty is to the men who exercise authority and not to one another. This is really simple. Human nature will tell you this. But you haven't thought about it and your preachers aren't telling you about it because you forgot. You forgot the way of Christ, the way of Moses, the way of Daniel. So in Deuteronomy 16.13 it says, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine after harvest. It was a harvest festival. And thou shalt rejoice thy feast, thou and thy sons and thy daughters and thy uh, manservants and thy maidservants and the Levites and the stranger and the fatherless 
and the widows that are within thy gates. Seven days shalt thou keep solemn feasts into the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and all thy works of thine hands and therefore thou shalt surely rejoice if you're remembering the statutes of God. Now a lot of people want to interpret all this that we got to have the feast of uh, uh, tabernacles or the feast of booze or uh, these uh, different feasts on specific days based on specific calendars. When you start doing that you are you are unmooring the metaphors of these patterns from their true meaning. You are making yourself a slave to to interpretations of individuals. You kind of feel like you're getting an advantage because you studied these things. But the whole point of the law is that it must be written upon your heart. You've heard me mention the heart and written upon your soul or you're written upon your mind. The word mind and soul are almost interchangeable at times depending on what word that they're translating into soul or mind. So, it isn't about memorizing these verses and calculating them out and deducing all this stuff. Um, it's about having God written, writing upon your heart. Now, one of the ways you can tell whether God is writing upon your heart or not is are you angry? <laughs> Do you hate other people? Are you mad at other people? Are you condemning other people? Are you uh, trying to uh, lord over other people? Uh, the reality is is that's a sign that is not God it's not the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit does not give you hatred and anger for other people judgment judge not leave judgment to God so anyway they talk about the feast they go on in verse 15 and 16 three times in a year shall all thy males uh, appear before the Lord thy God in a place which he shall choose in the feasts of unleavened bread and the feasts of weeks and in the feasts of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Well, that means that that's a time to come and give. You know, it's uh, it's where you come and share with this social network that the Levites were supposed to be operating to take care of the needy of society in a righteous way based on free will offerings. And of course, John the Baptist was doing the same thing. He says, you you take what you have. You don't, you know, if you have an extra coat, if you have an extra penny, if you have extra food, you know, some loaves and fishes, you share with those that are needy. And the Levites, that's their job. And the job of the Levites which was not to burn up sheep, but to take the offerings of the people and rightly divide them from house to house, was the job of the church in the early days. The difference between the church and the world, because the world divides from house to house now. They send out their social security. They don't actually send out social security checks. They, they, you ha- it's direct deposit. <laughs> but they're the one who's dividing it from house to house. But their offering is based on force. Not free will offerings. Not charity. 
not love. Now, some people who pay their taxes, they know they're doing it because they know you need to take care of some of these things. And they willingly pay their taxes. That's fine. But if it, the system is based on force, it's not the system of God. It's not what George Washington and Thomas Jefferson set up. They didn't set up income tax. They didn't set up a property tax. They didn't, the you know, Thomas Paine wanted to create a property tax to take care of the elderly. When he was getting old. And he repented of that. I told that story before. But he was toying with that. You know, the great common sense guy. But he's he realized now that... And so he fell on the mercies of other people who helped take care of him. Because he didn't... He didn't take care of his family. and he, So he was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. So... We're having the Burning Bush Festival here the first part of September, first weekend in September, and there are people coming, and we'd like you to go to burningbushfestival.org or to our Facebook page, and let us know if you're coming. Uh, join the network. Let us know if you're coming. I just heard three more people are coming. I don't even know who they are, so I had to send out a note to all the other ministers because we're organizing the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and says, so who are these guys? <laughs> And uh, somebody else contacted me this morning. They're on their way. They had a little car trouble, but uh, they're coming early. And uh, some people can come early if they want to come and help. If they want to just chew my ears so that I can't get any work done, uh, don't need that. I need real help. And uh, you're not to come empty. So, you know, that's that's an important part of the instructions. But what about the Great Reset? <laughs> well, really... You need to form the network so to protect yourself against the Great Reset. And if you start doing what Moses and Jesus were saying, that is the greatest reset. Because coming out of Egypt, coming out of the bondage of Egypt, was a reset. People had to do things different. The baptism of Christ, the baptism at the foot of of Mount Sinai, were resets to do things a different way repentance is a part of reset it's thinking a different way so somebody else is talking about a great reset but they're resetting you back to the bondage of Egypt (laughs) I'm resetting you to the liberty under God but that's what we're going to have to talk about in the second half of the show be right back Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Ask that question in Romans 8.35. But uh, when it says separate us from the love of Christ, that word love of Christ, the word love, of course Christ is the anointing, But uh, the word love is a word that 86 times it's translated love, but 27 times it's translated charity. Or, and even more, feast of charity and, and charitably and, and, uh, it has to do with this, uh, goodwill and benevolence. You're the benefactors of one another in the kingdom of God. You don't exercise authority one over the other. You, no man has the right to judge you 
in the keeping of the feasts and, and days and traditions and calendars and all those other things. You can certainly study and research those things, but you do not impose upon others. You stick to the basic principles of the prophets of Christ, of God, of loving one another, which means to be charitable to one another, take care of one another, so that no one has to go to the men who call themselves benefactors, the princes and rulers of the earth, who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Their dainties are a snare. They're bait. That what they're offering you comes with a price. They will promise you liberty from your responsibilities. But they're actually servants of iniquity. And they will bring you into a relationship of iniquity with them and with each other and divide you. So in that great day of the Lord, you will not be able to become a part of the salvation of Christ. Christ died that you might be saved. But if you will not follow in the ways of Christ, if you turn away from Christ, He will not hear you. You will say, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing the will of the Father. This has nothing to do with earning salvation. You can't do enough to earn it. But it has to do with are you slothful in the ways of Christ? Are you making excuses? Uh, are you just look going to church to feel good? To have your ears tickled? To have your doctrine listened to? This is why we call it His church or His holy church. Because it's not my doctrines. If I'm wrong, point it out. It's His doctrines. This is why I quote Him so much. That's why, you know, almost every page of the many books that I've written, there's references to biblical quotes or the biblical quotes themselves. I a lot of times use the same words so that you understand. And then I show you that religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. That's what it always meant. It's what you did to take care of the needy of your society. And if you won't do that, that will separate you from the charity of Christ. It will also change you. It will turn you into perfect savages. And from such we should turn away. According to Paul. But we open our doors for those who will follow the ways of Christ. And the feasts are a time to open the doors. To let people come. But they need to come in the name of the Lord. Not in their own way. So... This is how you reset society according to Christ. We have been for the last 100 years or more, more greatly in the last 100 years or 90 years, we have been resetting our thinking to think other than the ways of Christ. So now the greatest reset was Christ. Moses reset the people when he brought them out of the bondage of Egypt and showed them how to live without putting their neighbors into bondage, without men who exercised authority one over the other, without kings, in a voluntary society, an intentional community that was able to survive in hostile places and prosper in those places. Now, we have memory of that, but we are sometimes 
unmooring the rituals and rites from their meaning. And so you can have people going to get a wafer of bread at church and calling it communion while 90% of the social welfare of their church is handled by men who exercise authority one over the other. And like I said in one of our last shows, those are the priests of your religion. Those government people that provide for the needs of society and the widows and the orphans through men who exercise authority one over the other, which Christ forbid us to be like. But that's what we are today. So, as I said in the beginning with the coronavirus, when I, I, I put this up on, on the internet, and I will share it with everybody. I'll put these audios on it that we're going to be making today. But as, from the beginning, the coronavirus's numbers did not add up. The experts were saying uh, lots of different things, but you were only hearing from certain experts if you watched the news, CNN, MS, uh, even even Fox News. All those guys were, we were hearing from certain experts and other experts who were not primed. They, you know, they were doing their studies and they were coming up with their numbers, but they had already, somebody had orchestrated who the press was going to put in there. Now, there's some natural orchestration that goes on. The press is sensationalizing. And if you come up with, could be millions of people die, they're going to get some coverage first. But when other experts that were better experts, more noteworthy experts, were saying, no, it doesn't really come out to those numbers. We're looking at this study and that study. And we had some early on studies that were showing this virus. Fauci wasn't mentioning those studies. Fauci was promoting this fear that things will not go back. Things will forever change. The new normal. This is all prepping you for the Great Reset. But the reality is you've been prepping for the Great Reset for the last hundred years as you were becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others because America, even though it's not supposed to be a socialist nation, has become more and more socialist, and we see more and more problems coming from that socialist, you know, socializing the medicine system, the medical system. And it, that has weakened the people, it has broke down the family. We see it in the black community, we see it in the white community, in the Asian community, that the families are breaking down because of the presence of this social welfare. Which you can go back to the history you know, Australia was setting up the system similar to Social Security long before the United States was. And what are they doing? Lockdowns of Victoria are unbelievable. And they're getting away with it. There's some rebels out there yelling and screaming that they don't like it. That they're getting the windows broken and they're getting arrested. The solution is to reset according to the ways of Christ. According to the thinking of Christ. According to the thinking of the prophets. Which is what repentance is. Thinking this other way. Taking back your responsibilities. Maturing as Christians. Not milk only, but learning to eat the meat of righteousness. So there were a few people that were not swept away with this hysteria, or even less, who suspected that there uh, were other forces at play behind the scenes of this pandemic. Because the pandemic was not that much greater than normal ones. 
it got greater when you started shutting down and suicide rates started going up and people were losing their livelihood and and people were paid to not work, paid more to not work than they would have got had they worked. That's actually going on today by the tune of millions of people are getting more money to not work. They're paying you to stay home. Paying you better to stay home than to go to work. How can you get the economy going again with that going on? And of course the Democrats don't want that to stop. And it's, it's, it's putting, it's cursing your children with more and more debt. But why, I, I kept looking at this. I was looking at the Federal Reserve. There were changes that were going on there. I was looking at other things. But a guy by the name of Michael Matt, who uh, is the editor for uh, Remnant News. And you can look it up. Michael Matt, M-A-T-T. And uh, he was saying back in April things that we were saying back in March. And he couldn't believe what was going on. But he put together some information about this globalism and this perfect storm. And, and he made a couple of YouTubes uh, as part of his uh, Remnant TV and we put them up on our website so that you can go see them. And we have lots and lots of links on there to other things. So that you, the people are coming dry to this to start finding out what socialism is and communism is and Marxism is and how these things are all sneaking into, been sneaking into our thinking for, since 1908 when they began to alter the way in which we viewed history, which we have articles that show this all for free. Books that show you the, uh, this process you know, of how the, thy kingdom comes and how we go away. What separates us from the knowledge of Christ and the understanding of Christ? And socialism does that. And Marxism does that. But it's like a journey where you get a little bit of socialism. The camel's nose gets in the tent and then it gets a little worse. And then, you know, a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. Before you know it, the whole camel's in the tent. So, Michael Matt admires the actions and stances of Trump. He wasn't a big, diehard Trump supporter. That's what I hear from a lot of people who didn't even vote for Trump. Didn't, you know, they, he seems strange. Although I, I saw a speech he gave just recently and I was kind of impressed by it. But I also know Trump is not my salvation. Christ is my salvation. We're not going to reset Trump. We're going to reset to Christ. Trump's certainly kind of irritating those people who want the great reset and change everybody to this other socialist, worldwide, globalist, communist nation where they have the power and you don't. I mean, just the news program before the show today was talking about popping up all over these these uh, clinics to treat small children with hormone blockers and which will actually cause them to be sterile forever. On the show we just did uh, a week or so ago showing that vaccines, this is, this is CDC and, and peer-reviewed studies that certain vaccines are causing women to become sterile to the, from, from 67% fertility down to as low as 25% fertility. When you already have people only having one or two children, if two people have only two children, if everybody in the world only had two children, the world would have population collapse. 
Because some of those children are not going to grow up. And so if everybody only has... This, so you have to have at least 2.3 children just to stay where you are. Well, it actually is there's a lot of people who don't want us to stay where we are. They want to eliminate about, you know, 6 billion people from the earth. They think that would be great. That would be wonderful. That would be sustainable. That would be green. <laughs> now, they're crazy. They're insane. They don't understand how... Life works on this planet. Doesn't We don't have abundant life because we exterminate life. <laughs> we have abundant life because we live life. But we have you have to live according to the way of Christ, who says you lay down your life so that you may pick up life more abundant. But they want to lay down other people's lives. <laughs> I think they will have life more abundant. That's how you get plagues. And and we've hinted at a lot of that stuff. But now I'm going to talk more about this Great Reset. I, I saw it, but I just wanted people to become convinced that the scenario and, and the algorithms that they were giving us were not actually true. But this is the same with our interpretation of the Bible and our interpretation of the Gospel and our interpretation of the prophets. We're not really seeing the big picture, the whole picture. So like I said, uh, Michael Matt has become kind of a fan of Trump. and He knows and, and he plays clips in his video, which I thought were pretty good. Some of the Some of the clips are taken out of context and you might want to go and find the whole clip. But definitely he's onto something here. And uh, he believes that the the faithful uh, will triumph in the end. But uh, we say that the you know the prophets say that they're going to wear out the saints. It says the whole world will be deceived, including the saints. It says that they would all perish, including the saints, except for God intervenes. Now. Just because you go to church and you say you love Jesus doesn't mean you're on the side of righteousness. Because you're not supposed to just say you love Jesus. You're supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we know the kingdom of God operates by faith, hope, and charity and not force, fear, and violence. So if you're depending for your benefits on men who exercise force and fear and demand fealty... You're, you've moved away from the lessons of Christ and the lessons of Moses. You're neither Jewish nor Christian. You're advocating a way contrary to the way of Christ and you're making the word of God to none effect with your Corbin. And so on this page that I created, uh, we, we go through and we show that this, there's this huge amount of Trump haters out there. Which is why I mentioned some of those quotes earlier, the great hatred. And it's, it's not just Trump. I mean, they hate whites. They hate, uh, um, capitalism. Capitalism is bad. Capitalism is not a political system. Capitalism just means if you produce it, it's yours. Your labor, you can actually invest your labor in an object or a thing, you know, dig something out of the ground, cut a tree down, saw it up into a board, and the value of that board is greater than the value of the tree. And if you sell that board or exchange that board, everything you receive is yours. That's capitalism. Your labor belongs to you in capitalism. If your labor doesn't entirely belong to you, to whatever degree that is true... 
You're not living in capitalism. You, you have become the capital. Somebody else has the right to your labor. You are capital. You belong to somebody else. You are either a slave or your, your soul belongs to somebody else. The traveling merchants of the earth. You have become merchandise. And how do you do this? What separates you from God so that you become the merchandise of others? Covetous practices. Desiring benefits at the expense of others. This is really simple. I know a lot of people haven't been thinking along these lines. But while I look at what Michael Matt says, he's true. I mean, he's he's not for socialism and Marxism and communism, but we have all those things. All ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are law in America today. It's just a matter of degree. You know, it's like in Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh, and he could collect that. And by that means, he was able to provide free bread for the needy of society. So he he divided your wealth that you shared with him by forced offerings with the needy of society. And you were condemned to that because you had sold your brother into slavery. When you sign up for a socialist system and get a number in that system so that you can obtain benefits, you're selling, you know, you're you're going into that one purse, that common purse. I should put links on here to that article too, so you because this is this is a repeated theme over and over again. Woe unto those who go the way of one purse, who covet their neighbor's goods. So anyway, as I I watched Michael Matt's broadcast, I I took notes from some of his comments and perceptions, and and many of them were right on. Uh, Like I said, he admires Trump. uh, But if we will humble and repent and become doers of the word, God will add the miracles we will need in the days ahead because we've gone so far down the wrong road it will take a miracle to get us back. But you begin a journey with the first step. Michael mentions the figure 98% recovery back in April and really the the recovery rate is even higher. And then, of course, now we know, we suspected it, virologists suspected it, but now they've done studies specifically with coronavirus. 28% of the people already had a genetic memory in their T1 cells not to get the virus, not to replicate it at all. So even if they breathe in the virus without a mask, they're not going to get sick. They're not going to need to produce antibodies because there isn't going to be enough viruses in there to produce antibodies. And they're just going to die because they can't get into any of the T1 cells or T11 cells to start being reproduced by you. 28%. That, Like I said, that's almost halfway to herd immunity from day one. And there were many epidemiologists who suspected that. But we had Fauci saying, oh, it's nouveau. We have zero immunity to it. That was wrong. It was false. It was bad science. And there were many men contradicting that, but they could not get into the news, so you did not hear it. But Michael was beginning to suspect this, even without all the scientific information. 
So anyway, and then again, that, that number is based on those who got tested because they had symptoms. So actually, the number to begin with was 99% recovery rate from those who start replicating the virus, and plus 28% were already immune to begin with. And so in a very short period of time, we would have reached herd immunity. Sweden seems to have already done that. Taiwan, they must have done that. Seven deaths out of 23 million people. Of course, they, like I said, they didn't use ventilators. They had another procedure, which we've talked about on previous shows. So anyway, if you Google the Great Reset, you'll find out this is a real thing. The guys are promoting and talking about it. And, and Michael gives a number of different quotes in his video. And he shows what they are thinking and what they are saying. But I think of Second Peter 2.19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. And that's what's happened. What, were we overcome by the sword? No, we were overcome by greed and covetous practices. Desiring benefits at the expense of others and thinking it was okay because government was providing them. But the government, we were told not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. Michael goes on and he's willing to ask how, why, what is the end game? And we've been wondering that all along. I, I had a lot more information than I was sharing, but I wanted you to get to see this process and I wanted you to have the opportunity to, to discover it yourself. But it doesn't do you any good to discover it if you won't repent and let God reset you by following the way of Christ diligently, striving for righteousness instead of for benefits at the expense of others. And he, Michael includes a, you know, I'm calling him Michael Matt, a long list of globalists and there's a much longer list and he even includes Pope Francis. Now, he's a Catholic. He, that's what the remnant news is all about. It's, it's trying to roll back the Catholic Church to uh, pre-Vatican II. And, you know, he, he's very much in love with the Catholicism and, and the rituals. Now, I was raised a Catholic. I wasn't in the Roman Rite originally. It was the Carmelite Rite. when the last rites to accept the Pope. And uh, But I, I studied in a society directly under the auspices of the Pope. And I was asking many of the questions that I now answer for all of you for free. And could not get answers back then, even from men who lived in the Vatican. I sat down and talked with them and some of them. Although one of them in particular did tell me things. And I've talked about them before, but I'm not going to... He, he's passed away now unless he's in his hundreds because he was an old man <laughs> and that would that would have been uh, uh almost 60 years ago when i sat in the in the this old library and, and spoke with him and he started telling me things that no other priest would have told me and uh, i've shared them with you some of them anyway his uh Michael goes on and, and says that this this is all ridiculous. He, he says it right out. He sees 
the problem. And I can't believe that he doesn't see this because of at least some revelation. I don't think he, I mean, he seems like a smart guy, but I don't think it's just human intelligence that allows him to see this. There's more he has to see, and I'd love to have him on the show and talk to him about some of these things. But uh, his protest that it, it needs to stop what he was seeing back in April, needs to stop by April 30th, he said, was clearly gone unheeded. The principalities in high places and the powers of darkness are not paying any attention. They're, they have an agenda. They have a goal, an end game. And I'm reminded of Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, this age. That's the word they use there. Against the spiritual wickedness in high places. And there is wickedness. It's not just ridiculous. It's wicked. <coughs> Michael is uh, possibly right about the influence of the globalists in perpetuating this panic. He does cling to certain ideas of a Catholic Pope, although he is certainly not approval of Francis, who is flat out a communist. But if you get a chance to watch the videos, then we will share these links on the network. I think that it may awaken you to some things, but we want to show you more, and we'll do that in the next half of the show. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... What I, I, I did I try to do on this page that I'm putting together and it will go out in a newsletter and probably go out to the, the whole network uh, as soon as I get some of the typos out of it. <laughs> uh, but uh, a, uh, the uh, what what Michael is seeing is, is seems to be absolutely true. But there are some things he hasn't seen. And we've talked about a lot of things uh, in this show so far. And I've touched on going back to the Old Testament and the, and trying to link some of the ideas in the Old Testament to the New Testament and some of the way of Moses being the way of Jesus Christ and the fact that the Pharisees had turned uh, Judaism into a series of rituals that everybody performed religiously while neglecting true and pure religion. Now, I know people who are Pharisees today, uh, consider themselves Orthodox Jews today, and they cling to the rituals and try to follow the rituals, you know, tradition, uh, to the letter. Uh, but I also hear some of them saying, yeah, charity should be in the hands of the people, not in the hands of the government, because it's not charity once the government's doing it. And they they do see the change that takes place in society, and that's why I love that Polybius quote, how it it turns people into savages, and we now we look into the streets and we see those savages running rampant, and the people so weak they can't even stop them. And, you know, like you have the Kate Brown, who claims she's the governor of Oregon, she has no legal right to the office of governor. Very clearly. It's it's not about a question of opinion. It's a fact. It's numbers. It's like two plus two is four. And four plus four means you're not a governor. <laughs> you're a felon. You can't hold the office of governor. And she's coming down with a new executive order this week threatening all the county commissioners 
that if they don't force everybody to wear masks, which are absolutely useless at this stage in the game, even Fauci said that at one time, but then he rolls back because he got the word that, no, we want everybody afraid and masks help keep everybody in fear. Meanwhile, we're quickly approaching herd immunity. Like I said, halfway there from day one, according to studies that have come out already, which were verifying uh, theories of epidemiology we knew from the beginning, which is why the that was, was was not programmed into Ferguson's mathematical model and other mathematical models, which are the few that came up with these high numbers and have been uh, generated through the media over and over again in the, to the years so that people can will not humble themselves and admit that they were duped into unnecessary fear, often doing the exact opposite of what you should have been doing to save lives, like Governor Cuomo putting sick people in convalescent homes. I could have told you that 60 years ago. <laughs> Let's see, is it 60 years? My gosh, it is. Almost 60 years ago. Because I saw the deaths taking place when you you brought just one flu person some some teenager doing temporary work would come in because she needed the hours and she would come in to the convalescent home coughing and sneezing and and kill people and we couldn't impress upon them that if you're sick stay home you work at a convalescent home you can't bring that disease in here but Cuomo killed thousands he should be arrested and still they're praising the way he handled it. Ventilators killed people. The only ones who survived are the, the guy who took the ventilator out. Because ventilators, yeah, they're having labor breathing. You don't want it. So anyway, we discovered all this. We're telling people, but nobody's listening to us because we also tell them you have to start coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. You have to stop calling men of the earth father. And I point out in this article to Michael that he needs to understand the difference between public religion and pure religion. And religion is not rituals and rites and ceremonies. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. And even in your traditional Catholic church, if you're doing things in the traditional way, but you're not taking care of at least 50% of the welfare of the people in your church and you're leaving that welfare to men who exercise authority you're not following Christ now I understand he hasn't been taught this but he figured out these other things let's see if he can figure out that and you know I'm not interested in condemning Jews or Pharisees or you know Christ saved that to the end when he they were plotting against them, and he's, then he's, woe unto you Pharisees. He didn't start with that. He did start with, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And he was probably talking to mostly Pharisees, because they were the political power at that time in Judea. And he did admit that they sat in the seat of Moses, but they were not doing things according to the ways of Moses. And there are Christians and and uh, people who have churches that they claim to be Christian churches and churches established by Christ, they're sitting in the seat of Moses, but they're not 
doing, or sitting in the seat of Christ, I should say, because Christ was priest and high king. He took the kingdom away from the Pharisees and all those who were doing the, making the word of God the non effect with their Corbin. And on the page we have links so you can go find out what Corbin is. He took it away from them. We show you how they took, he took it away from them. He took it away by the words of their own mouth. We have no king but Caesar. Well, if you have no king but Caesar, then, and Christ is the Christ, the highest son of David, the rightful heir to the throne, the one who came after John the Baptist, who was the rightful high priest, then Jesus is sitting in the seat of Moses. You say, oh, we don't accept him, we, but we do accept Caesar. You have just waived your right to your inheritance as an Israelite. And Jesus appoints the kingdom to Jews. All the apostles were Jews. And to others, you know, like Nicodemus and, and, uh, the 120, you know, in the upper room. Aquila and Priscilla. And the 70. They were Israel. They were the kingdom of Judea. But they didn't advance by armies of unrighteousness and rebellion. They advanced by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness by setting up a daily ministration based on charity alone. If you don't do that, you're not the church established by Christ. If you try to set up a socialist state to take, to free people from this bondage of the world, this uh, or, or you do it to free people from their responsibilities. You weaken them, and they will not survive the the dictators that are inevitable to come, as Polybius says. They're once more a monarch and a king, a dictator and a tyrant. That's what's coming. Now, maybe Trump's going to win this election anyway. He might not. And and Michael is praying that he does. And I have, I pray that you wake up, repent, and start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, what is public religion? Public religion was the religion that was run through the public temples of Rome. They took care of the needy with their free bread. They kept records of your birth and who your father was and the. And that, you know, in the tabularum, which is one of their temples, that was, you know, the Bureau of Vital Statistics. And we have an article there that I linked to so that somebody can go and find out that civil religion, public religion, is also related to the civil religion, which is a concept that originated in French political thought, although it was around back at the time of Rome, it was back at the time of Nimrod. And uh became a major topic in American sociologists back in the 1950s. And then with LBJ's 1960 War on Poverty, through public religion, not through righteousness, but through men who exercise authority, our thinking was changed and we became, we became more and more a socialist nation. We started really in leaps and bounds of the FDR, but LBJ took it another step. 
And socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Richard uh, Newhouse said that back in, I don't know, he was born in 1936, so he was a prominent American clergyman, but he said, socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. That's why people don't need to go to church anymore. But if you go back to people like, you know, if you go to our article on public religion, we have a link there to Davy Crackett and Mr. Bunce. And if you go read that, you'll see that in the American thought, the idea of the government taking care of the needy of society was abhorrent. It was rejected. There were people who thought it was a good idea, but most of the people thought it was a bad idea. Now most of the people think it's the only idea. They go to church, but they don't go to church to take care of the needy of their society. They don't even go to church for religious purposes. But like I said, they change the definition of religion to, from the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, which is to love your neighbor as yourself and to show up the feasts to give to God by giving to the ministers who don't exercise authority one over the other, but operate by faith, hope, and charity, which is what the church is supposed to be doing. But pure religion is to take care of the needy unspotted by the world. I said just get to 50% of the welfare in your congregations taken care of by the contributions, the charity of the people, the love of the people. But that's not pure religion, 50%. Pure religion is to do it unspotted by any of the welfare of the men who exercise authority. I just say get to 50% because that at least you're going in the right direction. When you get to 50%, make it 60%. When you get to 60%, make it 70%. You cannot do that in this world and age unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. And you really need to have ministers of the church abiding by and conforming to the rules that Christ laid down for ministers of his church. I've had guys come here who are ministers of churches who suddenly say, oh, we don't need to do that. See, actually, if you go to our article on pure religion, which actually somebody translated also into Spanish, I see. And this is actually a short article at Preparing You. But we say it in so many different places, show you in so many different places, you know, that uh, that you people need to understand. I mean, James talks about it. Paul talks about it. Like I say, when Paul says the word love, they translate it charity. Welfare of the people of your society provided by force or is it provided by charity? If it's provided by force, you are taking a bite out of one another and you will be devoured. If it's done by charity, God will hear your cries and miracles will happen. And it's not unspotted unless you're doing it 100%. And you cannot do that unless you do the other thing that Christ commanded us to do. As ministers of Christ, we are to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because that's that's the only way to keep it intimate. You cannot send it all your contributions to me. And then I go and rightly divide it 
between the ministers who rightly divided between each other. No, that that takes you, it removes you too far, it separates you too far from the the responsibilities of choice that you need to make in order to mature. Somebody at PragerU just did a, a video on on uh, maturity. I can't even remember who it was, but he, he talked about uh, five things that you needed in order to establish this uh, purity. One of the things, you have to take back your responsibility. That's one of the key steps. Your responsibility to rightly divide the bread from house to house. In order to do that, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to take charge of your own life. You have to admit that, you know, I have to work. You know, I mentioned a guy who didn't want to get a job. His parents wanted to get him a job. He's living in his parents' house. And and he needs, needs to become a part. You know, if you are in the bondage in Babylon... You you have to pay Caesar what you owe him, and if you if you're in the bondage of Nimrod, you have to pay Nimrod what you owe him. That doesn't mean that you can't start turning around and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You're supposed to be taking care of your parents, not your parents taking care of you. And evidently, the guy was still listening to our programs, but because uh, he's got all this time on his hand, because he doesn't work. You know, somebody asked the question, how are all these protesters and rioters out all night? You know, burning and looting and, and, and attacking people. What, what do they do for a living? Where do they go to work? Well, they're probably on government dole or in their parents' house. <laughs> they're not independently wealthy. So, of the five things that he says you have to do is you have to take charge of your life and, and take responsibility. Not only for yourself, but for others, if you're going to be a Christian. He says you can have emotions, but your emotions should not have you. You should not be carried away with your emotions. You know, if you see anger rising up in you, judgment rising up in you, you can't be angry. If you, you get angry, you will be afraid. Because you're, you're, you're judging others. That's why you're angry. You're cutting yourself off. Who can separate us from the Lord? I asked that question earlier. Anger, judgment, giving in to these emotions that are rising up from the interior of your own self. Your emotions are taking control of you. What is controlling your emotions? You have to look deep down inside you and hard times will bring you face to face with that inner self. But it behooves you to start looking into your inner self. This is why we teach meditation. We also have an article at Preparing You on Meditation. Tell you what that's all about. Christ was meditating and praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Preparing himself for the trials to come. And and that's what you, you all need to do. I could tell you some interesting stories. That's where the miracles come from. When you begin to set aside your will and try to do the will of the Father. Not my will, but thine. You also have to develop perspective. Well, that's what we've been giving you for the last two hours almost. This perspective showing you 
that from the beginning you were not to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, whether you call them Pharaoh, or whether you call them Caesar, or whether you call them President, your or Prime Minister, you're not to be coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. It, but you do have to take care of one another, and you may need to be taken care of if something happens to you. How can you do that effectively if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start the process of learning what it means to live by faith, hope, and charity? That's a perspective they're not teaching you in the church. They're painting a Jesus without the requirements of Jesus. Without the words of Jesus. Without the gospel of Jesus. You can't get true news at NBC and and ABC and all these different networks. You can't get the truth. Well, you can't get the good news at most of these churches because they're not telling you that you need to live by faith, hope, and charity. They're telling you it's okay to live by force and fear and fealty, fearing the government. You're supposed to fear God. How can you be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people if all the power is in the hands of government? The more you become socialist, the more the power is in the hands of government. So your perspective has to be beyond your self-interest. That's why you have to learn to love your neighbor as yourself. It has to be beyond your personal vanity. That's why you have to have the humility to admit that you have not been taught the whole gospel. Since you were little. Now maybe, and the fact is, I'm not going to teach it to you. I'm talking about it. But God has to teach it to you by writing upon your heart and your mind. And as you do that, as you let God write upon your heart and your mind, you will begin to see more clearly all kinds of other things. That's why I find it interesting that Michael Matt sees some of these things that a lot of other people haven't seen. Many of you have suspected and got bits and pieces of this along the way. But if you're not moving from a position of love and forgiveness, if you're hating the system, hating those behind it, whether they be Jews or Catholics or Protestants or whoever they are that are behind this, this great reset, then you're going to lose. You leave judgment to God. You just turn around your life, take back your life, your responsibilities, put your emotions under control, leave judgment to God, get a perspective where you're seeing what is really good and what is really bad, but you're operating from the Holy Spirit Willing to see the whole truth, not only about the world and the globalists and the pandemic, but about yourself. You have to be forgiving. That's why Christ talked about forgiving. You cannot hold a grudge against the people that are orchestrating. They will, the prophets of the beast, the fire is already kindling. Those of you who are being dragged along by the current of this unrighteous system can start turning around right where you're at. But in order to have this deep understanding of yourself and others, you you need to look 
at the fact that you, except by the grace of God, there go I. I would have been fooled. And many of you have been fooled. Maybe some of you weren't fooled by the coronavirus uh, craze. Now, there is a coronavirus. There is an illness that people can get. Uh, you, But you get it by your body not recognizing that this virus is not a human exosome. And your body lets that non-human or that defective exosome into your T11 cells. In some places, it's not a T11 cell. But in this lung virus, it seems to be the T11 cells. And you begin to replicate it. You're doing it. You're making yourself sick. You're giving yourself the symptoms because your body was not a part of that 28%, which is uh, I found to be amazing, that was already immune. And so you let it in and, and now you had to learn to be immune. Well, you've let in the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. You've let in the idea that the ritual supplants the righteousness. No, righteousness is what we're seeking. Not the rituals, the righteousness. It is only righteous to not covet your neighbor's goods. To not force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. So, it's time for repentance. And we all have need of repentance somewhere. So, join us at the network. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Start organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start seeking the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and the rewards of that righteousness instead of the rewards of men who exercise authority. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.